Exponential Finance, the podcast covering finance, technology and innovation, from our home in Japan and beyond. In this episode, we are going to take a close look at the fintech ecosystem in Brazil. If you have not had this market on your radar screen yet, then likely changed with the record-breaking IPO of Nubank on the New York Stock Exchange towards the end of last year, making the company the largest digital banking platform outside of Asia. The second focus of our conversation will be the work of the Brazilian Central Bank, which has been executing on a variety of initiatives at once, from open banking to a fast payments system called PIX, to a pilot of a central bank digital currency to commence soon. And now, please welcome Bruno Diniz, advisor, author, professor and expert on all things fintech, covering Brazil and the region. Good evening, Bruno. Welcome to the show and a happy new year to you. Happy new year for you too, Norbert. It's a pleasure to be here, my friend. Thank you very much. And it's been an exciting time to watch what's happening in Brazil. As, as I mentioned, when we exchanged emails, the last time I've been to Brazil is about 10 years ago. And that was even before Newbank, which should be our first topic, was founded. So lots has happened. And, and you've been in this fintech space for quite a while. Describe in, for our listeners a bit how you see it having developed since, whatever, 2015 or so. Perfect. Yeah. By the time you, you've been here in Brazil, I think that things were pretty, pretty green. Uh, uh, we didn't have that much venture capitalists around. The ones that we had usually offered bad deals. Deals that are not that good because, you know, there, there wasn't so many. So that was a, a situation that I heard from many, many entrepreneurs from like 10 years ago saying that being offered deals there were not that good. And also in terms of culture, I think everything was different. But now I think we found ways to grow. When you look at the fintech space specifically, we have now, and it's a process that had been happening since 2010. And then in 2013, it intensified, which is the regulatory changes in the country. So it was something that also set the ground for what we are seeing right now. And also, I think that all of that started attracting uh, other people. It started being something that was very positive for entrepreneurs trying to create things. They would have more certainty around legal aspects, about the possibilities. And the thing is, the entrance barriers for new players was, over time, getting smaller and smaller. We still have a high concentrated space when you look at the big banks here in Brazil, but things are, are changing very, very fast. Since 2013, and then but to the point that we have now, uh, things have been increasing a lot. Just to give you an idea of how fast things happen here, I wrote a book about fintech called The Fintech Phenomenon Here in Brazil. I finished it by late 2019. It was released early 2020. So I used the chart in the book that shows that we have something like $60 million invested in a region that's not Brazil or Latin America. It's just like the rest of the world because, you know, no capital would come here. It's just like they put Latin America along with many other different countries and, and regions. When we close 2019, we have $1.1 billion invested only in Brazil. Then in 2020, it was $1.9 billion. And then now we have something like $3.8 billion in 2021. So it's created very, very quickly. Many, many international venture capitalists looking at the country because 
there are lots of opportunities. There are lots of things to be done here more than other countries. We have a demographics. We have people that are early adopters that like technology, use social media a lot. So I think we have many aspects that add together to, to show this opportunity that we have here in the region. You mentioned the concentration in the banking sector, which is also very interesting for me being in Japan, which is probably even worse, right? So we've got three mega banks here that have a large market share and you've got five in Brazil, I think, that, that have yeah. somewhere around the same, like 80% or so of the market. Exactly. And, and now you've got the challenges coming in. It's interesting to hear that the regulator has been very supportive of these, these new companies as well, right? Which is probably in comparison to Japan, which is more conservative also on the regulatory side for the most part. Really, if the regulator pushes innovation and, and competition, it's obviously good for everybody in the end. Yeah, exactly. And in the past years, as I mentioned, uh, since 2013, something like that, uh, the central bank have been focused on trying to foster competition, leaving the door open to new entrants and also to modernize our infrastructure, lead us to other advances such as PICs that I can discuss a little bit more later. All of that set the ground for what we're seeing right now. So we really needed alternatives. Interest barriers used to be very, very high and, and, and things are changing. And it's crazy to think that we have, in 2013, New Bank was founded, coming from all this scenario because there was a huge space to do banking better than what the incumbents used to offer back then. And we start seeing in 2013, as I mentioned, you changing the regulatory system. So timing was crucial here. And in just eight years, New Bank came from nothing to be the largest financial institution per market cap in Latin America. In an industry that's so hard to see changes this big, you know, because it's a very regulated industry, just like other re very regulated industry, like uh, healthcare, for example, we have financial industry seeing the same change that other sectors already saw, like hospitality with Airbnb, like entertainment with Netflix. And now we have something from the financial sector as well. So that's an advance. And I think that money is a very delicate matter. That's the reason why, you know, things don't happen that quickly. And another thing to consider is all based on regulation. We had technology for some of the changes, but only when we have the regulatory possibility to combine with this tech change and behavior change, we can see new projects and new companies and startups happening here. It's good to see that from the beginning and see the progression. I think it's amazing. And it's just like the beginning. I, I believe that there are much more to come because we are in a very, very intense battleground. You know, we have players from outside coming. We have startups coming now that are fueled with VC capital. And some of them really can make a change here. So I'm very excited for the future. There's so much focus on the UK banks as N26 in Germany, etc. But New Bank obviously haven't done the IPO on the NYC, probably at some point in peak $50 billion valuation, now it's down to 40 or so, which is amazing in eight years, as you said. And the origins of Newbank were also like very simple, like a credit card product, essentially. That's how they started. They started out offering a credit card, but you know, when you look at the name Newbank, I think they got bigger ambitions from scratch, but they have to start somewhere. And they started with the credit card. 
started offering a much better experience that we see the credit card offered offered by, by the banks, for example, and the things have been progressing and then they have the checking accounts. And now they are exploring products such as insurance and many other types of products and even non-financial products, which is another thing that we see happening, which is beyond banking. So is one of the players that are looking at this field as well. And they have like a roadmap for new things to come. And it's awesome to see. And, and the, the, I think the most incredible thing they, they did here, because Brazilians generally don't like banks. We don't have like a banks fans in any other part of the world, I think because everyone had some kind of problem with a bank during the time you with your current account, the checking account. But anyways, New Bank did what I believe was impossible because I came from the banking industry, the traditional one, which is they turned clients into fans. And those fans advocate for a new bank in the social media and all of that. So it's it's crazy to see what they achieved. And with this strong brand that they made here, they can do a lot of other things, just like offering products, non-financial products. Many things that come out of New Bank, the consumers, the fan base, they used to like, embrace it. So that's another strong point for those players. Yeah, and I think the numbers are amazing. So I was looking at the IPO prospectus. I think they labeled the customer acquisition cost at around five US dollars, which is like incredibly low, right? If you yeah. compare to some other markets, and as you said, like it's all viral and um, word of mouth advertising. So they're not spending much to acquire a customer and they essentially turn them profitable within the year. And I think that they did a very fantastic route all the way to their IPO. They brought world-class employees to work in the company. They also brought Warren Buffett as an investor. So everyone used to complain, okay, but New Bank's not profitable and all of that. And then they brought in a value investor, Warren Buffett, someone that has a reputation in the business. And it's interesting because here in Brazil, everybody knows Nubank. But outside Brazil, when I saw the news, they used to say the Buffett back at Nubank, you know. So they did that. That was a very interesting marketing thing as well. So I think they did everything right. And even before the IPO, they were able to deliver their first profit in their Brazilian unit. They are expanding to other places like Colombia and Mexico, but they already turned the Brazilian branch here, the unit, into a profitable one. So that's just like the right answers that they need to give to the market and said, okay, here we are. It's from here and all the way up. And we have Buffett with Bidas and everyone. So I think they construct that very good storytelling on all that. I think the right moves. And another thing most people don't, don't know is that they also did something just like an airdrop of their stocks to some of the clients. They selected some clients and they gave for free fraction of a stock, which is something like 17% of a stock. The client that received this one, that agrees to receive this piece of new bank, they have lockdown. They cannot trade this fraction of stock for one year. And during this one year, they will give a lot of content on uh, financial education for the person. We don't have that many stock market investors in Brazil. So they are having the chance to, uh, I will give you a stock and I will show you and make you understand what it's all about. And after one year, you're free to sell it if you want. So I think it was very clever from them to do all of that. And also the clients that wanted to participate in the IPO, they could do it through their own brokerage arm called New Invest, 
we are in a moment right now which is all the sense of community it's something that's fueling web 3.0 for example and everything else and all the crypto economy and i believe that they captured that very good and they are doing something to their community so that's important that that's something that is very 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 interesting because you were talking about the, the fan base and also the usage then of new bank which i thought was very different from what i'm hearing from european new banks for example is that 50% i think they said of the new bank customers actually using new bank as a primary account and new bank itself defined it as getting more than half of your post tax income deposited into new bank it feels like in europe although we have unicorns and decacorns it's still a secondary account for most people right you you have your primary banking relationship with the legacy banks and then you dabble around a bit with the new banks but this new bank they managed to turn that around and because the fan base is so strong people actually using it as a primary account which is like a total game changer they have like a larger number a large percentage of clients as a primary bank the fact is they are improving their portfolio so as they do that some clients and and they know uh, even David Valles which is the CEO global CEO he knows that many of the clients you know love the way that the interface of new bank the way they are treated by new bank employees when they need to and have to have have contact with someone but they said okay but i i won't trade my primary account in the other bank because they have other products that i need like mortgage like many other products and they are aware of that and then they have a roadmap to put more products for example they made a require with their uh, clients to understand if they would be interested in a insurance product for auto that it's charged by you know miles something like metro mile we have space for many different innovative products it's just like a, you have inside new bank a possibility to do like a very interesting insure tech thing a very good invest tech thing so there are so many other possibilities inside of it and with all this platform moment that we're living in the financial services they are also integrated with other players they integrated with a player called remessa online here in brazil which is basically likewise which is a player that allows their clients to remit money abroad not everything they are going to create from scratch in some cases they are partnering with other players to make it happen revolut also does that any 26 as well because they also have a partnership something like that with wise it's just a matter of time and they are very fast and so as somebody who likes technology they built their own core banking system right? so they didn't buy something off the shelf and customize yeah. it so they said we own the technology outright we built it from scratch and we built it in a way that's lightweight flexible it's cost efficient and we talked about the customer acquisition cost but likewise been said that their cost for running client is a dollar a month no legacy bank can even nearly compete with so it's it's yeah. amazing technology and flexible as you see with apis to integrate partners as you like and 25% or so of the workforce is engineers so 1500 people to large engineering team they own the technology which is i think is often the difference between the newcomers and and the legacy banks where it's increasingly outsourced right yeah yeah and you know many of those players new players are also uh, top of some kind of banking as a self provider that's not a problem on that but i think that there are different ways to play this game and and the way they have been doing that uh, since 2013 is quite something 
from a regional perspective, and, and you mentioned Colombia and, and Mexico as in the next markets, is it something that seemed natural to you? I mean, as somebody who's like very far away from South America, right, I would have said, okay, you've got Brazil, then you go into Argentina and Chile, but then it's Colombia. Is there a history behind that move? Yeah, in fact, it's because of the, I believe it's because of the market size. And not only that, I think there are political things and economic things that also help. So uh, we have something like 50 million people in Colombia and 150 million people in Mexico. In Brazil, we have 310 million people. I don't remind right now the population of Argentina, but the thing in Argentina right now, we, they are in a turmoil and, and things are not that good there right now. Uh, New Bank even created, they have an office in Argentina, but they're not going to launch anything right now. In Argentina, we have Walla. Walla is doing well. But when you look at the region, the countries in, in Latin America, they're performing better are Brazil, Mexico, and Colombia in this order. And we're seeing a lot of players from those places coming to Brazil. So most of the time we see when a fintech like gets a big check from a VC, and I'm pretty sure that they are selling to this VC. We are going to expand in Latin America. We are building a Latin American thesis here. So, okay, so, okay, so next year, if you are Mexican, you're going to Brazil. If you are Colombia, you're going to Mexico and Brazil. So it's just like that. I think even the investors expect that from those players to be in those largest markets in the region. So the smaller one, like Uruguay, Argentina, they are not a priority because they are, Uruguay, for example, is very close to Brazil, but it's it's a very small economy. Now, in terms of competition, also, obviously, before the fintech wave, we had the e-commerce wave, and you have a fairly large e-commerce player in Mercado Libre there as well, which also has their kind of fintech branch and pillar with Mercado Pago. Pago, if I, if exactly. I Pago, yeah. How do you see the competitive situation between Nubank and Mercado Pago and maybe any newcomer that might still look at the market? This specific topic is, is the subject of my latest book, which is called The New Financial Logic. It's not yet translated. It's only in Portuguese right now. But basically what we see now, you know, post the beginning of the phenomenon, the fintech phenomenon, which took the country and the world by storm, we have this new phenomenon. The old logic is you consuming financial products with institutions that have the carry the label of a financial institution, right? That's the standard logic. But the new logic is basically you can consume as it's easier for big platforms from different sectors like a retailer, telcos, and uh, e-commerce to start offering financial products to their clients. Now you can do banking with anyone virtually. So that's the new logic. So I believe those players that got a big client base like Mercado Libre and all those players, it's very natural. It's just like you're leaving money in the table if you're not embedding financial solutions to your clients. And we are seeing that in many other jurisdictions, not only in Brazil. It's a, it's a global phenomenon. The point here is it's easy for a retailer, for example, offer financial products if they do that with excellence, if they are really trying to embed this offering inside the client journey in a, in a way that's seamless and all of that, that's very important. But the thing is, they are closest to be super app than a bank is in most cases, because some people still perceive banks as a, a place that can only deliver 
financial products. We have some cases here in Brazil, like Inter, which is a bank, and they have now a very strong marketplace and other things, and they are positioned themselves, and they dropped the bank of the name because they said that we are not only a bank, we are a platform to solve the different problems that you have in your life. It's just like we've seen in Asia, that, you know, Southeast Asia, we have so many different cases. We have Grab, for example, we have Tencent, we have, with WeChat and all of that. So I think that we have right now this view and I don't see a big bank here in Brazil becoming a grab because they have legacy, they have an image. It's harder for them than it is from a fresh comer, you know, like a new bank or players from the e-commerce space like Mercado Pago. The lines that used to divide the financial sector from other sectors are getting blurrier. So now players are much more than only financial providers. So it's a different competitive space we have now it's interesting you mentioned inter and also the, the name change and positioning so you see like inter and nubank going from the financial into the marketplaces and the emails and mercado libre is going the opposite direction also- and another thing about nubank in other places they drop a bank from the name so in mexico they are just new and soon i think they are going to change the name in brazil and people are going to call them just new not nubank All right, let's switch tack a bit and go to the sleepy and sometimes not so sleepy world of central banks. Before we go into anything that's crypto related, let's talk about the the payment system. And you mentioned PIX briefly earlier. I take a little bit of a deeper dive there because central banks around the world have been at different speeds working on fast payment systems and Brazil is there. So it exists and it works. Talk about what difference it made for the payment marketplace. Yeah, fantastic. Well, PIX is a very powerful new infrastructure that the central bank released here in the country. The main objective of that was to be a a tool for financial inclusion and also to lower the costs that we used to see here charged by incumbents in B2P transactions, for example, in wire transfers. So basically, we have an interoperable infrastructure that was constructed by the central bank and on, on top of this infrastructure, we have not only the financial, you know, the incumbents, the financial market players that have always been here, but we have also fintechs on top of that. We have different players that can sit on top of the same infrastructure, which is interoperable. And if you're sending money to another person, it, it's for free, it's 24-7, and it's instant. It's also it also got a very good interface and user experience because basically you need to register a key which can be like your social security number in Brazil or it can be an email. You can have more than one key. So email, cell phone number, social security ID uh, or uh, like a random uh, key. And basically, so we don't need to remember which is the number of the account or all of that. It's just like you type one of this data and then you can you can you can send money directly. And not only that, so Pix got a like a roadmap of other features. One of that was recently released, which is called Pix Troku and Pix Saki, which is basically we can make a withdrawal using Pix with retailers uh, and companies in different parts of Brazil. So basically, if you want to receive the change in cash, you can pay with Pix and then someone the cashier take the money the cash delivered that to you and charge something from this transaction. Uh, so potentially every store can become ATM. And, and the thing with that happens with that is that as counterintuitive as it seems, 
when you have the opportunity to have any store to become a ATM, you start not carrying that much money because you can find cash anywhere. So that's interesting thing around that. When you have ATM in certain points, you used to carry money because you don't know where you're going to find another ATM. Those things are very interesting. And it's a support for cash. It's a support for an old tech. So that's very cool, very clever as well. And we have other things in the roadmap like Pix being offline. We have the opportunity also to, for Pix to work as a loan with Pix. So basically, it's just like it's just like buy now, pay later embedded into Pix infrastructure for any players that you want to tap into, in, into this new feature. So, man, it's very transformational. It was delivered in November 2020. And uh, after one year of Pix, it was already the number one payment, only losing only to cash. So Pix took the crown of many other payment methods. And uh, you can pay through QR code. QR code is not only P2P transaction, but you can also pay in store. So it's powerful infrastructure. And it was considered with the fast adoption, fast payment system in the world. So that's also very interesting. What I've seen on the 2020 roadmap as well were like installments. Exactly, exactly. It's just like buy now, pay later, but you, you can pay paying with installments, but you know, using the two, using picks. So that's very clever. For that reason, you can think about, for example, in Brazil, you can pay installments using Visa or MasterCard for a long time. But now it's just like this new rail, this new infrastructure. It had the potential to displace those companies like Visa and Master. So it's going to be interesting to see how the landscape and the incumbents are going to adapt to this new reality. Yeah, and especially because interchange fee are a large part of the income for Nubank, for example, and for, for many startups, at, at least initially before they get really into the lending. But if even the lending products get disintermediated a bit by these PIGs offering, there is yeah. a risk to the wallet share, right? It's pretty new to see the effects of how it's going to unfold in the future and how it's going to displace traditional players. I remember when some of the research had been released before Pix being introduced or in the first month, they believed that it would going to take a long time, like something like five years for Pix to displace other alternatives. And, and it already happened. It's crazy to think it's a very, very fast space. Uh, I really don't know what's going to happen with the incumbents in this space and how it's going to change the way we do business. So be prepared, I think. Not many incumbents have the speed to change the direction that fast. Let's see how, how it's going to play out. I love looking at India as well. They, they had yeah. like implemented UPI, which has a little bit of a longer track record, but the combination of new payment infrastructure, fast payments and the mobile phone, this is really what defines financial inclusion for me. The impact of that is simply amazing. Yeah, one thing to add on that is that even the central bank president in Brazil, he said that PIX, the PIX infrastructure in the future can be used to be the same infrastructure for digital identity in Brazil. So in India, they managed to solve that. Here in Brazil, we can use the same infrastructure to start working with digital identity. And that shows that it started in the financial sector, but it can become bigger it's just like open banking, that implementation process in Brazil that starts with banking. And now it's like open finance is going to yep. be on insurance and all of that. And then it can go to many different other sectors. So it's crazy to see how it evolves to other parts of the economy as well. Totally. 
where we're on the central bank and we can't have this call without talking about cryptocurrencies and central bank digital currencies. What is the situation in Brazil? So the headline that I picked up was that Bitso, a cryptocurrency exchange, is sponsoring the Sao Paulo soccer club. So it must, yeah. be, it must be legal to do crypto in Brazil. Yeah, in fact, we have like auto-regulated process here in Brazil. The exchanges here, they follow a set of rules. They started following a set of rules that they imposed to themselves. And now it's something that is just like acquired by regulators and, and all of that. And there is a new regulation that is coming out for crypto, a regulation that's specific for exchanges and also to have a supervisor of their activities that's going to be directed, linked to them. Perhaps it's going to be a part of a department of the central bank that's going to do that. It's not that clear right now, but things are evolving. And also uh, another thing that we, we see right now is the central bank is developing a CBDC and the CBDC is going to have the beta tests this year and perhaps a release next year. So it's just like in this race of CBDCs happening everywhere in, uh, in different parts of the world, Brazil is on on that. And it's very, it's very interesting. It's, it shows once again that the Central Bank of Brazil is doing a lot of things at the same time. So we had open banking at the same time that C a CBDC had been planned and peaks have been released, but it also got a roadmap of other features. So cannot even think how, when we start combination, combinating all of those different things, it's going to be a blast, I think. You know, many opportunities for entrepreneurs, many uh, opportunities of financial inclusion. So we have the tools here. We have the infrastructure here being built. It's just a matter of combinating these different things and create real cool and new stuff. And I also believe that after CBDC is implemented in the country, we're going to see a push towards crypto adoption. That's going to be anything else that we saw up until now. I think we are in a very interesting year for crypto in the region. And I'm very bullish on that. When I looked at all the CDBC papers that, that are in my folder, I think one of the first ones was in 2018 on, on a Brazilian digital currency. And uh, I think the gentleman at that time wasn't part of R3, but he later joined. And it felt like, at least from the outside, maybe not that much had happened until, let's say, middle of last year. And then suddenly the announcement came, right? We're yeah. doing the pilot in 22 and plan to go live by 24, which is a really fast schedule if you look at some other markets. Exactly. That's a good thing because we have, a, you know, since the start of the pandemic in 2020, we saw other countries like Mexico, for example, they used to have a very aggressive plan on open banking, for example, and they slowed down because they started thinking about other priorities. But the Central Bank of Brazil, they kept the promise and released everything that they planned to. And the good thing is PIX, for example, which is a fast payments infrastructure, it makes a lot of sense in a pandemic time because people don't want to touch cash so it was a very good timing for this release as well. So the good thing is something like 10 years ago, we will see something like a central bank that used to take more time to do things. They would, oh, we are thinking about, then they announced they, they have a, a working group on that. And then they announced, and later then they you used to announce a, a new thing. But, you know, things are very fast paced right now, just like uh, everything that we've been witnessing and even the CBDC. 
On the other hand, as I mentioned, we have other countries that, that are not at the same speed. So I think that Mexico, for example, lost a lot of, of speed. I think the problem of financial inclusion in Mexico is even bigger than we have here in Brazil. They have a really problematic thing on inclusion. But I think the good thing is Brazil doing all that can inspire other countries and other countries can follow the lead. And also, that, you know, Brazil can help other countries in the region to achieve uh, interesting Because at once you have like a parameter, you have a benchmark, it starts to be easier to think about how to make implement those changes. The problem is pioneering. Pioneering is hard, but pays off. I don't want to diminish all the academic work that's going into the CDBC space. And it's, it's very nuanced arguments that need to be have, no doubt. But also execution matters, right? And, and as oh, you said, yeah. the, the central bank in Brazil has been executing extremely well, as has right. the whole ecosystem in India, I think. And there's like two outstanding examples what you can achieve if you actually then get going and you execute it according to plan, to promises, and you provide the reliable framework that people can base their business plans on. It's been amazing development. Yeah, and it's two examples of emerging countries. And that's very good because in those countries, the impact of those changes is very, very high because yeah. we see poverty in those countries. We see problem on financial inclusion and we can have a boost after that for sure. From my remembrance of Sao Paulo and on the lighthearted question at the end, the other big problem we need to solve are the traffic jams, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a problem here. That's a problem in Mexico City. That's a problem in many other countries. But let's see if uh, Elon Musk wants to like implement Hyperloop or anything like that in the country. Let's see. With all those this tech boost that we're seeing here, it's not only on fintech. We are seeing health techs. We've seen uh, like uh, many other different tax technologies uh, in startups here. So uh, I have hope that we change that in the near future as well. It's a very good trajectory. And is there anything we're missing? What, what you're excited about for this year, next year that's coming up that maybe not on Bill's radar screen just yet? As I mentioned, we have an implementation of open finance here, which is, uh, you know, our next stage after open banking. I'm very bullish on what's going to come out of that. There are already startups that are working in this space here, even prior to the full implementation. That's something. Another thing that I'm very bullish is this closing gap between uh, the crypto world and the traditional financial world. And it's happening everywhere. It's happening where we have company like Paxos in the U.S., that's providing crypto as a service infrastructure for companies like PayPal and now Mercado Libre. I'm, I'm, I believe that if you are a financial institution or even if you are not a financial institution, because now we have banking as a service and embedded finance and players that are not traditionally from finance that uh, tap into this space. I believe that if you want to centralize most of the finance of your customer, if you want to provide an additional service for them, You cannot forget crypto because crypto is already mainstream after years of being an outlaw or something that banks is a forbidden word inside banks. We have banks that start offering crypto related services because it's bottom up. It's just like the clients want it. If you don't offer that, they're going to find someone that uh, can help them on this. And here in Brazil, we have some companies working on crypto as a service, enabling, for example, GG, which is a provider from China here, uh, which is the Uber from China. We, they bought a company here in Brazil called 99. 
And now they are offering for their clients the possibility to exposure to crypto. crypto. And there is a local exchange here called Foxbeat that provided the crypto as a service for this company to do that. So I think it won't be long until new banks start offering crypto-related services, just like any 26 is going to do now, just like Revolut have been doing since 2017. So you cannot ignore that. Just like Robinhood have been on that. If you're focused on finance and Gen Z finance, millennials finance, it's already perceived as the, as the digital gold for those for those people, for the youth. So you cannot ignore that. You, you have to incorporate that in your offerings. This was a great conversation. Fantastic insights, Bruno. Really appreciate it. And we'll share your books, even the Portuguese version with our audience as well. Very exciting time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.